Hey there, badasses. Welcome back to this week's episode of Leading During Difficult Times and Advocating for Yourself. I'm Yanni San Luis, your win woman, and I'm really excited to dive into this week's topic because hear me out here, but I am sensing and I feel it too that we are in such desperate need for good leadership these days, whether it's in government, in our own companies, in corporate, wherever it is that you are hailing from, it's almost like we are craving this task to leadership and how we can be advocates for ourselves when we aren't receiving the type of leadership we deserve. So sit back and relax because I'm so excited to give you some great golden nuggets for this week's episode of Building Badassery. So I understand when we're talking about leadership that this is not an easy task. Leadership is about selecting to do the right thing over and over again, even when you don't feel like it. You don't just wake up one morning and say, you know what? I feel like being a leader today. You lead because you have this compelled nature to do so but because it's the right thing to do. It's interesting because when I was in college and we had this Center for Leadership and Service where there was a a great program called the Academy of Leaders. And their motto was leaders are not born, they're made. And it's so interesting because I think that that is the controversial or the debate of the century as it relates to leadership, right? Are we born with innate abilities and qualities? You know, is it genetic? Or are we are we essentially made into those leaders? And I think that it's a combination of both. I think that there is qualities and there are circumstances that allow us to rise up But I do also think if qualities are not fostered, if they're not worked upon, then there might be a missed opportunity and a missed shot. You know, on the topic of leadership, I think that as I look at individuals and the critics um, of leaders, right, because I think that there, when you gain popularity, it doesn't matter if you are a politician, if you are a corporate CEO, as you begin your business, as you're gaining visibility, there are people that are going to have opinions. They're going to have their own criticisms of the way that you do things. And it's important to note that you will never be able to please every single person. And I'm going to tell you something that for me, that was something that was downright really difficult to hear. I, not that, not that I had the, uh, the want or desire to please everyone, but it's kind of like wired in you while you're growing up. And it's something that is difficult to unlearn. Like you don't go into this world saying, I don't want to please people, right? Or I'm going to make 
enemies of people or I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to do things for others, right? You don't go into this world thinking those things. You want to, it's almost like you have this desire of being liked. And sometimes, you know, the things that the right thing to do is not necessarily the popular thing to do. And that is when leadership comes into play, right? It's not about making the popular decision. It's about making the right decision. So I want to share those things and I want to preface that conversation today with you because I want you to start thinking about your own leadership style. What is it that defines you? What makes you different? What are the things and the qualities that you see in leaders around you? What do you think about when you're like, you know what, that I I don't necessarily agree with all their ideologies, but that decision was really difficult to make and I respect that person. So going back to the critics for a second, I have the opinion of it being so easy to criticize our leaders and criticize every single thing they do versus actually taking action and being the one in that hot seat and taking the blunt of the uh, the brunt, excuse me, the brunt of the criticism and actually making things work. So I say this because I used to think I used to think people like food critics. I'm like, you know, chefs and people have, they're an artist, right? In their own right. And for people to kind of come in and criticize their food, like how dare they, right? I think used to think things like that. And I realized that it's not easy to put your ideas out there. It's not easy to put yourself out there. What I want to start talking about, especially during the undertones of this week and some of the things that have happened in our society with regards to police brutality and the things that are happening that are absolutely unacceptable, we need to think about leadership and how each and every one of us are going to step up in our own right, regardless of whether it's popular or not, and do the right thing. So how we can proceed to develop our own leadership goes back into us being an effective self-advocate. And I say this because, as I mentioned, putting your ideas out there, putting yourself first isn't something that is easy to do. I realize that. I recognize that. And I wanted to share a couple of things a couple of strategies for you to think about and to consider when you are wanting to become a self-advocate, but an effective one. So one of the things you want to do, number one, first and foremost, is to believe in yourself, right? I don't want you to doubt the things that you have that you feel um, necessary to you. And this goes hand in hand with boundaries and establishing those for yourself. And I say this because I remember a couple episodes ago, and if you want to take a listen on just how to do that, take a listen to the Building Badassery episode, Bostage and Boundaries. I give you a great number of tips on the language to use when you're setting boundaries. Setting boundaries is so foundational in every single thing that we do, badasses, because it allows us to, one, keep the peace within ourselves, put ourselves first, protect ourselves, but also protect others and our relationships and really have other people understand clearly, clearly understand 
where the boundaries are, where the borders are, and what are the things that are not acceptable. So I say this because believe in yourself is number one, being an effective self-advocate. Other things that are really important right now is knowing your rights, knowing your legal rights, knowing your rights in any given situation, even if you're in, involved in a corporate, um, let's say something that's happening unethically in a corporate situation, what are your rights? What are the things that are available to you? Knowing them and understanding them, those are good things to know in, in before you're becoming, as you're becoming a, an effective self-advocate. Number three is really to decide what you want. What is it that you want from the conversation when you're about to approach whatever leader for it? What are the things, what are the outcomes that you want? Um, and that's something that's important to do is deciding what you want. The fourth thing is planning a strategy. Get the facts together, gather some support, other people, maybe it's in within the, the company, the business, uh, perhaps if you're a constituent and this is a local issue in a government type municipality or state gathering other constituents that are feeling the same way, gathering support is important, but also getting the facts. So you want to make sure to plan a strategy. And lastly, number five is to express yourself clearly. When we want to be an effective self-advocate, we need to be sure that we are not mincing words. And I say this because a lot of times, and now, and I don't want this to be confused by not having tact in the way that you say things. Your tone, the way that you say things are is very important. You want to be firm, but not um, but not aggressive. And that makes sense, if that makes sense. So firm, but not aggressive. We want to have tact. We want to exp express ourselves clearly. We do not want to mince words. So when we are requesting, when we are making our requests, when we are sharing what our boundaries are, when we are becoming those effective self-advocates for what we want, we must have that strategy in place that I mentioned before, but we want to express ourselves clearly when we do. Why am I going over this with you? I share this because becoming an effective self-advocate is the way and is fundamental in becoming your own leader and become in your leadership journey and your leadership path. You need to know how to effectively advocate for yourself before you are leading others and you're able to advocate for others and their behalf. Okay. And so these are the things that I want you to keep in mind. Once again, it's believing in yourself. Number one, knowing your rights, deciding what you want, planning a strategy by getting the facts together and gathering support. And lastly, expressing yourself clearly. I say number one and believing yourself because it's like, okay, you know, who doesn't believe in yourself? But I will say sometimes that when people are communicating clearly, it's, it's very apparent when you, and you can see it, you can feel it, you can sense it, you can read it in their body language. When someone doesn't believe what they're saying, it's kind of like the salesperson that's selling you something, a product that's either crappy or shitty, and you can see it that they're not really believing in the product. People see when you don't believe in whatever it is that you're advocating for. So that's why I say believe in yourself, because that's a huge piece of it. Um, it's believing in what you're saying, but believing in your ability to get these things done. All right, everyone. So it is story time. I am going to channel my mother, Goose, 
fucking mother goose because that's how we do it here on Building Badassery. So I'm going to share with you this time during COVID has reminded me so much and I feel so much for our graduates because I too, over 10 years ago, was a recession recent grad. And for our college graduates out there that are going into the workforce and COVID has hit, some of them unfortunately have had their job offers rescinded. I'm not sure what they're going to do now. They're a little lost in the process. I feel you tremendously because I remember what that was like during that time. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to go out there to find a job. And I share this with you because we're in the midst of, of this kind of economic downturn and this recession as a result of COVID and what's happened with the shutdown of the economy and, and specifically with businesses kind of getting back on their feet, but not where it needs to be. So I will tell you as an adjunct faculty member at FIU at Florida International University, this spring semester was incredibly difficult for me. Of 45 of my students, 27 were laid off. And um, it was hard because, you know, knowing that 80% of our student base is working part-time or full-time and they're likely also supporting a family during the process is difficult to know because during this time of uncertainty, it's like, what are they going to do next? So I say this because there's a lot of uncertainty when you're going through a recession, and I completely understand that process, having been a recession graduate back then. So I say this because the story that I have to tell is that I was working for a local nonprofit during that time. And, you know, what happens is in a small nonprofit environment, what ends up happening is you do everything, right? You're the marketing person, you are the grants person, you are the fundraising person, you're the everything, you wear all types of hats. And for those of you who are working in nonprofits, I know some of my listeners are, you understand completely what's happening. So I will share this with you because what was happening is that our board members of our nonprofit were calling us during this time to hold off on their dues. And the reason for that was because either families, their families or their spouses were getting laid off, they were getting laid off, and we had specific board dues that we would rely on for operational funding to keep the lights on for our nonprofit. And after two months of the recession, really us feeling this way, our CEO at that time felt, or executive director at that time, um, felt it necessary for us to come back and try to get gain some momentum in collecting on pledges. And so for those of you who are not in the fundraising world, pledges are commitments that donors make um, to, you know, to an organization. And uh, they make it over a period of time and they commit, let's say, you know, to make math easy, let's say I commit to um, a recurring donation of $100 each month, right? But I commit to it. I never never actually actually paid it. So each month where I'm expecting for someone to reach out to me and collect on my pledge, right? So that's basically the gist of what a pledge payment is. So our CEO was sharing, okay, so we're about to end our fiscal year. And I'm going to tell you a lot of people 
Um, they have different fiscal years, whether it's calendar year, but for a number of um, nonprofits, I know academia is this way, the fiscal year ends in June, right? So June 30th is the end of the fiscal year. So there's a lot I will share with you and paint the picture that there's a lot of anxiety and energy that comes from the end of the fiscal year. It's very similar to hitting your quarterly goals at the end of a quarter or at the end of the year, right? When you're trying to hit these goals, and sometimes these dates are just arbitrary, but you're trying to hit these goals and there's a lot of pressure to hit, right? There's, you know, there's a lot of pressure to do it. And you do a lot of crazy things during that time. Um, probably borderline uncomfortable things, you know, basically persistently calling people who have made commitments and pledges. So I say this because at that time we were, we were at the end of our fiscal year and our CEO wanted to collect on some of the pledges to have some cash in you know, naturally because, you know, because of the recession and because our board members were asking to hold off on their fundraising or on their board dues, we wanted to have some cash in to have some cash in the bank, understandably. But what's happening here is that there was a really negative approach in the way that it was shared with the staff. So the staff members at that time, were, um, you know, we, we had a meeting. And so at that point I was an intern, I was a paid intern at the organization and we had a meeting and everybody was kind of told, you know, what was our gap, um, to goal, uh, during the organization. And we had pretty, a pretty hefty, uh, gap to go at that point for a small nonprofit. I think it was a 500,000. Now these days when I'm working, at FIU and I'm working at a larger organization, 500,000 is a drop in a bucket. But at that time, 500,000 was a pretty large goal for a small nonprofit. So that was our gap to goal. And we wanted to kind of drill down a strategy on how to call these people and how to persistently, you know, get some collections on the pledges and, and to go out there. But the way that it was approached by the leadership was done so distastefully. And I say that because we were feeling it too. There was numbers of people in our families that had lost their jobs or spouses or partners. And um, now we were being told to basically dial for dollars in a time where people didn't want to hear it. Um, corporate budgets were being cut, slashed, and um, it was just not a priority at that time. Philanthropy during recession is just not a priority. And the way that you message things, the way that you are um, communicating says a lot. Not to say that you can't fundraise during a recession. That's not what I'm saying. It's about communication. You need to communicate the need. But at that point, it was sounding pushy. I mean, language was being used like, you know, the pressure is on. We're going to turn up the fire here if we don't meet this goal. We're going to, I mean, it was very threatening in a way, and it just felt didn't feel right. And I understand for, for it during this time, there's a lot of parallels, right? Um, because I think about things as, as employees, as people are going about their work life and putting on pressure, whether you're a sales professional right now, whether you're a fundraiser, there is a type of pressure, understandably, to make sure that you keep and ensure your job. But that doesn't mean that you have to forego compassion 
and empathy when you do so. You know, you want to have compassion and empathy work in your favor. Don't push a team and make them uncomfortable. You know, ask and bring together. Now, I see this example and I remember that meeting and how uncomfortable I felt afterwards and really feeling desperate. Like it wasn't coming from a place like I look at it now and I look at that meeting coming together and the pressures on and we were, you know, it was, it was such a negative meeting and it wasn't taking into account the environment that was happening. You know, looking back, obviously your perspective is 2020, right? Your vision is 2020 at this point. Um, in looking back and I can kind of go back and critique it, but I will share with you what would have been more effective is coming together with a team and say, team, this is the gap to go that we have. Is this possible to achieve? Can we work on a strategy? What are the things that you think we can do in this progress? How can we make this happen? Come from a place of collaboration. Come from a place of understanding. Understand that not every single person is going to be where they need to be, right? When we're reaching out to donors, when we're reaching out to relationships. I say this because compassion and empathy are critical points, critical things to a leadership personality and when you're discovering your own leadership journey. Do not forego those two items, having compassion with yourself and empathy for others and their current situation so that you're not pushing through, pile driving through whatever it is that you need to do, okay? And so I share that story with you because I because it's one of those things that it's all about tact and the way that you do it. I also understand that in leadership, and when you are a leader in an organization and when you are leading teams, that there are pressures from the top, perhaps your superiors, of meeting those goals, right? Um, there are pressures from the top, but you don't ever want to put those pressures and those and hold those anxieties back into the team and have this trickle-down anxiety effect happen with that team. You know, leading from fear is not effective. Leading from anxiety is not effective. When you're talking about great leadership, you're talking about how do you build loyalty with people. And you build loyalty by coming together, being empathetic with the people around you, the people that you're leading, but having compassion for one another and the current situations that you're in. So I had the pleasure last week of moderating a discussion between two corporate leaders, both Altria and in EY, regarding how to really lead during these uncertain times and how to manage your teams through uncertainty. And I wanted to share some of the golden nuggets because I think and I know that this will be something that you'll take in with you and take to consideration as you're building teens, but as you're developing your own leadership here with us. So one of the things that we continue to hear about is this return to normal. We are not returning to normal. That's not happening. I say this because there is no normal. We have completely disrupted our infrastructure, our current space, and our normal, our normal 
for the foreseeable future. This is our new reality. So we're just kind of easing into adapting to what that looks like. And one of the things that we started talking about was developing these And I've seen these used by other corporations. I'm not going to name names, but I've been seeing it all over the place. And it completely infuriates me. For those of you who have heard me vent about this for the last couple of weeks, if you've been following me on my Instagram, you will see that it completely irks me. And I think I mentioned it last week. We are not returning to work, people. We've been working. Okay, it's return to the office, return to office plans, start using that language. And I think I mentioned it last week. So bear with me because I'm not done on the vent because it's not return to normal. It's returning to our new reality. It's returning to the office. Take a look at because communication and words matter. The way that you say them matter and the way that it makes other people feel matter. So I say that because We want to start being very conscious of how we are approaching these things. So I say this because a lot of times during this time, what has happened, and we're starting to get more and more this Zoom fatigue or this video conferencing fatigue, whatever platform that you're using, and it's being practiced overall industry-wide to take some time off. And maybe your leaders, your supervisors, the people that are with alongside you are encouraging you to do so, to take some time off, not worry, that sort of thing. What I love and what have best practices that have been put in place by some companies have been that companies have adopted just time periods in general, days of the week, that no meetings will be scheduled across the board. So that is what doing like putting an actual idea into action looks like. Other companies, unfortunately, have not kind of come with the times during that period of time. And what they've done is very is make surface type talk. Haven't you ever experienced what it looks like when someone offers help, but then when you take them up for help, for the help, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. No, I, I didn't really realize that you're actually asking me for help. I thought that you were... I was just being, you know, I was just being, you know, polite is basically what it is. We don't need people to be polite and telling us to take time off during this time. Okay. We need action and the action that has been displaced by some corporations and, and really putting together a plan for their employees to return to the office. But not only that, actually setting aside time and saying, no, we're not taking any video meetings on Thursdays between three and five. That's fantastic because it's actually putting an action into place. So I say this because people are watching your actions and seeing if there is a gap with what you're you're sharing. People are watching your actions and they're really seeing, is there a gap? Like, is is it, does it make sense what they're saying? Are, Are their actions in conflict with the words that are coming out of their mouth? People like to see the action and the words matching, right? Is it consistent? Are you being consistent during this time? And, you know, because it's like, for example, we were talking about last week and I, and I love this, but it's like, okay, turn off your phones and do not answer emails past 5 PM. And then all of a sudden leaders are, you know, messaging and putting emails 
into play at 11 or 12 a.m. No, that's that's unacceptable. And I say that it's unacceptable because it puts unnecessary pressure on the employees, right? And so what you said to shut off at 5 p.m. kind of does applies to everybody, but it doesn't apply to you. And there's that undertone of, well, I guess, okay, that was polite talk, right? That wasn't real. And I say that because we need to keep it real here. We want to be flexible and practice EQ. I say EQ, not IQ, and EQ being emotional intelligence. And I say this because Daniel Goleman, an American psychologist, really popularized this emotional intelligence kind of concept. And they're really key during this time, during leadership, and they're really five key elements to it. So I'm going to share it with you. Number one is self-awareness. We've been gone kind of talking about self-advocating for ourselves, but we want to be self-aware of what's going on when we're communicating with people and when people are communicating with us. The second thing is self-regulation. How are we regulating what we're saying? And are we are we just listening to respond? Or are we actually listening? We, not, we need to practice the active listening skills. Motivation is number three. We want to evaluate how we are being motivated, but also how how and what motivates other people. Empathy, empathy, empathy. That's number four. How are we practicing empathy? How are we putting ourselves in other people's shoes? How are we seeing it from the perspective and what they bring to the table? And lastly, it's about social skills. How are people's behavior really coming up differently? How are our behaviors, that's part of the self-regulation and the self-awareness, impacting those social skills and being personable? Those are the top five. And I say emotional intelligence because we want to be keen in and we want to cue in how we respond to our teams, how we're leading other people, and how we are relating and being personable with one another. And that, badasses, is a wrap. So I understand and hear me out when I say that we have just scratched the surface when it comes to leadership and becoming an effective self-advocate, but we got to start somewhere. And note that I will continue to champion these themes throughout the course of building badassery because as we strengthen our own leadership skills and we enable one another to lead we become more badass. So just to recap today's episode, we want to make sure that we are effectively communicating with our teams in a method that is compassionate and with empathy. We want to use those EQ skills that we talked about earlier in the episode. Next, we want to make sure that we're being transparent with roles and goals and really updating the team and the people around us as they change. Here's the thing, and I think about this because it's not just in your job and your career right now, but it's also in your personal life. We can't make assumptions that people around us, our loved ones, know what we're going through. We have to communicate them. And if our goals, our dreams have changed, bring them into the process. Because I know a lot of times, it feels that we are going to disappoint them, but bringing them in to the process 
allows them to come out from the dark. So make sure to communicate those things, not only in the roles that you're in at work and through your business, but also in your personal life. Lastly, we want to model the way. So are our actions mirroring what we're saying to our teams and making sure that they are consistent because people are going to be on the lookout for those items and to see if those behaviors are being consistent. So I have been so thrilled to have dove into this with you all this afternoon and this evening, and I'm so excited to be able to come together next week in the topic of harnessing your confidence and how that is going to apply in your business life, in your personal life, but how confidence and having conviction is what it's all about and is one of the key things of being a badass. Like always, I am your win woman, Yanni San Luis, and it's been my honor and pleasure to help you through this journey of building badassery.